All right. Good morning. It's good to see you. We are going to be in Romans chapter 12 this morning, specifically verses 9 to 21. Romans chapter 12, 9 to 21. Let me just, uh, let me just connect vision to Easter for just, uh, for just a moment. So you know, if, uh, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that our, our vision is to saturate the 4B area, this geography, uh, the 600,000 people that live in it, to saturate the 4B area with the gospel by restoring people, families, and churches. And uh, we have lots of ways that we do that. But one, one thing that is unique, I think, to every church is that on Easter Sunday, uh, people come in different ways than they come all the other Sundays of the, uh, of the other year. Last year, we grew 34% year over year on Easter Sunday. We had, in three hours, we just had too many people. We just had too many people and not enough seats is the bottom line. And so <clears throat> we really just prayed about, like, God, what would you have us, uh, what would you have us do? Because we all have uh, ones, people in our lives that are that one person that we really just would love to see meet Jesus. And I want everybody to have the opportunity to invite that one person to come and for that one person to have a really great experience when they, uh, when they come here, if they come here on Easter Sunday. So we will have four services. If you do the math, I need like 500 people to show up at 745 and 500 at 1145. So I'm asking you, because you're here not on Easter Sunday, to consider all those ones and think about coming at 7.45 or 11.45. At 9 and 10.30, those will be packed. And we have uh, an alternate worship venue that day with live, uh, live worship, not just video piped in, but live worship. We're gonna do our best uh, to accommodate in those two hours. But man, if you could be missionaries and show up at 7.45 or 11.45, that would be a huge, uh, huge blessing. What we're asking is that you would invite one person, your one, whoever that is, like walk across the street, go to the next cubicle, make that, shoot that text, whatever, invite them to come. So invite one, attend one, and serve one. And if you can serve uh, with that many people, you could have a couple, more than a couple thousand people on campus that day. Uh, We need a lot of help. And so there's a volunteer table out in the back if you have a chance today. Look at it as an opportunity to serve the 4B because that day, that, that really is what it is. And so let's engage well that, that way. Okay, Romans chapter 12, 9 to 21. We've been in a series in the book of Romans. We're gonna continue sort of a slow walk through that. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. We'll read the scripture first and then we'll jump in uh, to the teaching. <clears throat> There's a lot here in just a short amount of time or short, short amount of verses So let's just jump into it. Uh, It says this in verse nine, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. 
repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Be seated. So right here we get somewhere between 10 and 13, depending on how you read it, about between 10 and 13 imperatives, these commands that say, this is how you should live. These are principles of living. So let me tie to two things before we jump into these. First of all, I think it's always good to remember the big picture. So can we zoom out for just a minute past the book of Romans, sort of zoom out to the bigger picture. And I want to remind you kind of where you are, why, why things are the way that they are. Uh, we live in a world that is broken. This world is, is broken, according to the scripture. Everything I'm getting ready to say to you is through the lens of a biblical worldview. I'm not ashamed of that. Everything I'm getting ready to say is a biblical worldview. The world is broken. It wasn't created to be that way, but sin entered the picture. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that. Adam and Eve chose to do the thing that God said not to do. Sin enters the picture. Everything then is marred by sin. Even your own life is marred by sin, right? Everybody's impacted by it. It's like the air you breathe. It's around you. It's in the culture. It's in your life. It's, it's real. It's an issue. And God is at war with sin. That's the big picture. He is uh, holy. He's perfect. He's just. He will judge sin. But in his grace, he tarries. He allows generation after generation after generation to live that many might come to know him. Paul tells us in the book of Romans and many other places that, that the father sent his son, Jesus, who died on a cross to save us from our sin because we're impacted by it, to free us from our guilt and shame because it weighs us down, to heal us from the impact of the sins of other people in our life, and to promise us an eternity with a new identity. And at the end of Scripture, if the beginning begins with everything is good in the Garden of Eden, and then it breaks because of sin, all of Scripture is about the redemption. It's about Jesus bringing shalom or peace to the chaos of the world. When you get to the end, he returns and he restores all things. Everything is made right. All sin is judged perfectly. It's put outside the camp. And inside the camp then, or heaven, is those who have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. And they have been transformed. They've been redeemed. They've been regenerated is the word theologically. They've been made new. Uh, and, And so then, for eternity, there is life without sin, without the impact of sin. It's, it's beautiful. It's an amazing thought. I mean, think about your life for just a moment. If it had never, if you had never sinned, 
if you had never been impacted by the sin of another person, if you weren't breathing the impacts of the sin of the culture, right? That's how it will be. Jesus is bringing shalom to chaos, and when he returns, he will restore all things. The book of Romans gives us the doctrine behind that. Paul is saying, hey, look, here's the connection points from beginning to end, and it all comes down to Jesus. Uh, While we were still sinning, Christ died for us, he said in Romans 5, 8. He tells us in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He tells us in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So last week, we kind of turned a corner from that doctrine, and we began to say, okay, how are we supposed to live? And Romans chapter 12 begins to, for the next four chapters, begins to show us like how to live. And last week, we said, we are living sacrifices. We, t- we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable unto God. This is our spiritual act of worship. So because we call him Lord, then we are his. He has... He has, I give him my head, my heart, my hands, my feet, my mouth. He can use it because I'm a living sacrifice. That's that's what he's calling us to. But now Paul says in this chunk of scripture from 9 to 21 in Romans chapter 12, he gives these imperatives that is like, and here's how you should live every day because of it, right? And there are too many to talk about in this sermon. I mean, we could literally just take Romans chapter 9 I mean, Romans chapter 12, 9 to 21, and do a verse a week and, and, and have lots of sermons. There's too many to talk about. But what I want to do is pick and pull a, a four or five that I consider the most counterintuitive in our culture today, the ones that run against the grain of who we are kind of in our culture today. And I want to talk about those things. And so I want to start in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says that we should be genuine in love and abhor evil and hold fast to what is good. Now, I'm going to make the case that everything else that you're going to read in this particular section falls under the umbrella of this first principle, that we are to be genuine in love and abhor evil and hold fast to what is uh, good. The rest of it is kind of falling in line with that. Love is the distinguishing characteristic of our lives as Christians. Now, do you know how a Roman viewed love? Since this is the book of uh, Romans, it was written to Romans. Do you know how a Roman viewed love? Lust. Lust was love in Rome. You tracking with me? We could also talk about that for four hours. In fact, I mean, it's, it, 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 we have to see the gospel redefining love in the Roman culture because everything about the Roman culture, love was lust. It just is what it, what it was. Now, that's very, it's becoming more and more true in our culture this day. Uh, love is lust, Right? And if you're like 80 years old, you're like, no way. But if you're 15, yeah. If you're 40 even, yeah. Um, it, it just is what it is. We're very Roman in that category. And so what the gospel does then is redefine love. And this is why Paul says, be genuine in love and abhor evil. Why? Because God is love. 
So if people are gonna see what true love is in the culture, something other than lust, something not cheap, but beautiful, but perfect, but right, but holy, if they're gonna see that, then we're gonna have to be genuine in our love. And, and genuine is just not fake. It's just not fake. And we don't live in a culture really anymore. There was a time where you could fake love, like as a church person, you could kind of just fake it. We don't live in a culture anymore where you can, you can really fake that. Uh, because it's, it's so, uh, I think it's getting more difficult to love genuinely in the culture apart from the power of the Holy Spirit and uh, the, the reminder of who Jesus is. And so we have to be genuine in love because God is love and because people will see him when they see us, when we're genuine in love. It can't just be something we talk about it has to be real. It has to be authentic. It has to be demonstrated in authenticity. The, the crux of the matter is Romans chapter 5, verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he's showing us, like, this is what true love is, right? And so we have to be genuine as his, his people. We have to be genuine in love and abhor evil. Abhor just means to be, re, to, to be repugnant of, to dislike, to be in horror of evil, all right, so because we love, we abhor evil. And the problem is in the Roman culture, they had this like numbed comfort with evil. Very numb to evil, very passive to evil, embracing of evil in many ways. And I will tell you, 21st century, having studied hard first century Rome and lived hard in 21st century United States of America, this is, uh, this is where we are. This is where we find ourselves. We might as well be first century uh, Rome. We, are, we have a numbed comfort to evil. We're desensitized. And so he says, be genuine in love. And when you're like that, you've got to abhor what is evil. And when you abhor what is evil, you're going to have to hold fast to good. Uh, to hold fast is to grab on tight and not let go. You're going to have to hold on fast to what is truly good. That's intentionality. Has anybody ever had to hold on to something heavy that you felt like you're gonna drop? And you have to like hold on tight. This is that imagery. It's like you have got to hold on fast to what is good. So this is the first like key ethical principle that he's giving us. It's the umbrella principle for all the rest. Be genuine in love and abhor evil and hold fast to what is good. He told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, as he's kind of leading him to be the pastor of the church of Ephesus, which is very Roman. <clears throat> he says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Uh, he's saying, Timothy, as you get ready to pastor this church in Ephesus, which is the, one of the most prominent Roman cities in Asia Minor, and it grows... And you, you begin to think about like, okay, we can have programs and we can do this and we can do that and we can do the other. Don't forget the aim of your charge is love in sincerity because this is the thing. This is the conduit for the gospel. What the Romans don't have in love, they, they only have lust. You have something greater. You have this agape, this phileo, this brotherly love, this unconditional love that is only associated with Jesus Christ, the risen Nazarene. And so uh, we are told then to be genuine in love and abhor what is evil. Our presence in the world, and hear this and hear me well, our presence in the world should result 
in more love and less evil as far as it depends on us. Our presence, my presence, your presence in the world as a follower of Jesus must or should result in more love and less evil as far as it depends on us. Now, here's the the second principle I want to point out. It comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Um, Again, I'm just picking the ones that I think are most counterintuitive to, to our culture. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Okay, that's not, that's not natural, right? Someone persecutes you, you bless them. You don't curse them. Has anyone ever cursed someone who you felt like they persecuted you a little bit? Come on, Marine in the front, loud, loud and proud. There's others of you that are less honest. This is not intuitive to us as uh, humans. Bless those who persecute you and do not uh, curse them. This is a very high standard for Christians. It's, 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 it's like jumping above, uh, above and beyond. Like, how can you do this? He's not just saying don't retaliate. He's not just saying don't hate, but he's going so far as to say uh, you should be compelled to ask God's blessing on those who persecute you and completely avoid cursing them. That is a high standard. It is not Roman. When you persecute a Roman, you will find retaliation. I'll go so far as to say when you persecute an American, you will find retaliation. And so it is our job, our role in the midst of this, you know, when uh, you're trying to be the example of God's love on the earth, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Then Paul says, if you're gonna do that, then you're gonna have to bless those who persecute you and do not curse them. Paul says he lives this way in his own life, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 12 to 13 And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the the world, the refuse of all things. I mean, this is Paul, Roman citizen, Jew of all Jew, very intellectual, very smart. We look at him, we say, like he wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament He planted all kinds of churches that planted all kinds of churches, and here we are. I mean, this is our hero, but when he's writing right here to Corinth, he's like, we're not going to, we don't revile those who persecute us. We endure when we're slandered. We entreat when people say bad things about us, but we're becoming like the scum of the earth. Like it's, it's snowballing on us, but we practice this because this is who Jesus is. Why would this be? Why would you let this happen? Why would you bless those who persecute you? Perhaps because this is exactly what Jesus did for you and me in our sin. See, rabbinic discipleship, not 21st century American discipleship that sits in classes, but rabbinic discipleship says, as a disciple of Jesus, I wanna be just like you. So if you say these things, I'm going to say these things. If you walk this way, I'm going to walk this way. If you pray this way, listen to his disciples. How should we pray? Because when you pray, it's different. 
They, they want to be just like him. That's rabbinic discipleship. The same thing is true for you. Like we want to be like him. That, that, that is why he put his spirit in us because he thinks we can be just like him. So why would we bless those who persecute us? Because when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Real. And Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing in the worst of his persecution. So when the disciples, some of them crucified themselves after persecution, when they were crucified, they looked a lot like their rabbi, right? So here we are told by Paul, bless those who persecute you and do not curse them because it's the cursing and it's the retaliation that's expected. But when you return evil with love, something different happens. Here's what we find, the, the third thing. Here, Romans 12, chapter 18, or Romans 12, verse 18. Look at this one. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably, shalomi, with all people. All right, so if I take that to the Roman context, I, 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 let's say that I, I'm a Roman background believer, I'm suffering because I'm not able to work because I won't participate in the guilds because I won't worship Caesar and they make me, they make me participate in the guilds. And so all, let's say I'm a tile person and I, I, I can't get any work because the guild won't push work my way or they're saying bad things about me because they, they want people to know like he doesn't support Caesar, he doesn't worship Caesar. Why would you use him? And so I'm an outcast now. I can't... Can't get any work. I just want to lay tile, put food on the table for my, my family. And, uh, and that guild, they continue to persecute me. I'm supposed to bless them and live peaceably with them as far as possible. Now, they didn't have social media. They had their own version of it. But they, they didn't have social media. It wasn't quite as fast. If someone blasts me on social media, I'm going to blast back. Boom, you're blown up. That's our mindset, right? That's our, that's our culture. And here, what Paul is saying is if you're a living sacrifice, if you're gonna live the doctrine of Romans chapter one through 11, then if possible, you're gonna have to live peaceably with all people. Now look at the verse really closely. I think it's important that we apply uh, the ethics. So the first thing I want you to know is that this verse was written to a people who do not live in an ideal world. Sometimes we're, we're like, well, they don't, they don't understand what we go through here. You know, they didn't live in an ideal world, but they were a, a, a population, a culture marred by sin, just like we are. And the command to live peacefully is meant not for an ideal environment. It's meant for a, an environment like ours, for a sinful world, a world inhabited, and inhabited by people like us, but here's what it says. It says, it's interesting, Paul's words, if possible, as far as it depends on you. If we apply the ethics, what that means is sometimes it's not possible. You hear what he's saying? If possible, so far as it depends on you. Why didn't he just say, um, live uh, peaceably with all people? He didn't, he said, if possible, as far as it depends on you. This means that it's not always possible. Sometimes it doesn't depend on you. You might be able to think of a time in your life 
where you couldn't live peaceably with someone, not because it depended on you, but because it depended on them. I'll give you some examples. But this is a, this is a, this is a, a call to live peaceably with all, if possible, as far as it depends on you. So applied ethics, hypothetical situation. You see, you go to Baybrook Mall uh, today after church and you see a person in the parking lot being robbed and beaten. This isn't a walk away clause. Oh, if possible, as far as it depends on me, I need to be peaceable with all, so uh, I'll just let that happen. Actually, being a peacemaker, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Actually, being a peacemaker in that situation would be inserting yourself. You see the applied ethic? If possible, so far as it depends on you, that didn't depend on me. Right? There, is, uh, there are times, situations, circumstances that fall into this, if possible, as far as it depends on you. But the overarching theme is like, I, my role, my call as a follower of Jesus is to live, live peaceably with all. That's with Jews, with Muslims, with atheists, with people who radically disagree with my worldview, with Republicans, with Democrats, with independents, with whatever, you know, you, you fill in the Texas Ranger fans. You know, you, you fill in the, the blank. I don't, I don't care. But you get it, right? That if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Romans chapter 12, 19 to 20, take a look at that one. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Again, counterintuitive, counterintuitive to the Romans, counterintuitive to their culture, counterintuitive to Americans, counterintuitive to our culture. Paul is saying, do not take revenge. Even when someone has done us harm, we are not to seek revenge. This isn't our role. And I will tell you, this is hard. It can be difficult. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22, do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 39, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Again, counterintuitive. This is not the way, you know, in our, in our minds. But what we learn in verse 20 of chapter 12, you just go back there to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. What we learn here is that we walk in love in these situations. This is how Jesus walked. This is how his disciples should walk. When we're persecuted, we bless. When there is no peace, we live peaceably with all, with people, with all people if possible. Uh, here, when we've been harmed, we don't avenge ourselves. Now, I, I would like to say, like, when I was 25 years old sitting in an ethics class in seminary, this was an easy one. It's easy, yeah. You don't take revenge. Jesus said, "Jesus said, uh, don't don't turn, don't hit someone back. Turn the uh, other cheek." At fifty, 
It's harder. It's harder. At 25, not a lot had happened. I mean, a few things, but not a lot. But at 50, man, I got some people in my life that I wanted to take revenge on. As a father, as a husband, and I found a place in my heart that could do it. And yet Jesus is saying, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably. Bless those who persecute you. He's saying here, never avenge yourself, but leave it to God. Now, this is the, this is the hard part. So I'm going to trust God with that. For some reason, for me, it's easy to trust God for my salvation and my eternity. But when it comes to getting justice against this person or that person... I don't know if I trust them so much. I'd like to take a little of that on my own. I'm just verbalizing. It's processing out a lot. And yet he says, uh, no, what you should do, Pastor Brian, what you should do is if he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And this is a euphemism or a metaphor that just says by by loving in the face of evil, you're actually, uh, you're actually shaming. You're actually, um, it, it could go two ways for that person. Either they, they are baffled and shamed because of how you responded, or they're drawn to Christ because of how you responded. You're heaping burning coals on their head. There's a whole burning coals uh, thread in the scripture from start to finish. Everything from, uh, you should just, if you have time, burning coals, look everywhere in the scripture. Um, it's actually beautiful. And, and Jesus is a burning coals Messiah. One example, after he's raised, he shows up on the side of the Sea of Galilee. The disciples are like, is that Jesus? Is that Jesus? He's making fish. And it says, he was making fish on some burning coals. When you connect all those burning coals with all the other burning coals, what you find out is that that is a refining, beautiful aspect of who Jesus is. He's the refiner. And we have to trust him for that. So we leave vengeance to the perfect justice of God. Our vengeance, when I take it myself, it's usually laced with evil. But when God has vengeance, the vengeance of God is just. It is holy, it is right, it is pure. His end times wrath, wrath or eschatological, eschatological wrath, that wrath that comes at the very end, it is a just wrath that will judge all sin. All evil will be judged justly. This is why he says, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. Like, leave it to me. You can trust me with this. I will also say for your personal well-being, when you let go of bitterness and consequently the idea of vengeance and trust it to, Lord, to the Lord, you lay down burden and find personal peace. You really do. You really do. Last thing that I'd like to share, Romans chapter 12, verse 21. It's the end of this, uh, this section on ethics. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with 
good. Do not become, do, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And we're kind of back where we started. You know, he said, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is true. Here he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The Roman society that this, this church existed in was uh, purely evil. Purely evil. They worshiped an emperor. They had false gods in every town. They have brothels, like in Ephesus, there's like 89 brothels in that port town they found in archaeology. Graffiti pointing the way so everybody can see. It's no different than Houston. It's purely evil. Now, he says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the idea. This is the big picture from start to finish in this passage. The idea is that culture is evil. The world is broken. Sin is rampant. You are impacted by it. You're, you're swimming in the water of the culture of sin. And one day everything will be restored. But while you're here and you're living in the truth of Romans chapters 1 through 11, that beautiful doctrine of redemption, and you realize I'm a follower of Jesus saved to an eternity. I'm regenerated. I'm transformed. To be regenerate means to be born all over again. You're not like everybody else. So while everybody else clings to evil, you push away from evil. Do not be overcome by it. It can easily succumb you. Easily succumb you. So there's an intentionality here. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Now, this is, this is what we're after. Evil is going to be overcome, but not with more evil, with love. Evil is going to be overcome, but not with more evil, with love. And this is the point of all, everything Paul says here in Romans chapter 12, 9 to 21, he's, he's just saying to you, like, let your love be genuine because evil, Jesus is over, has overcome. It's hard, we, we think in like chronology, but he, he has always been and he, he overcame from the beginning. He is overcoming and he will overcome. It's all happening and happened. It's bigger than a timeline. While you're living on your timeline, whatever, whatever, however many years you have, you just understand like what you say, the things you do with your hands, uh, the, the meditation of your heart, it really matters. It really matters. And it's a part of the process of the restoration of all things. Jesus said, you are salt and you are light. If salt loses its saltiness in the world, it's not good for anything. If you hide a light under uh, a canopy, it's no good. Instead, you got to be different. You got to stick out. So you're not going to stick out by avenging yourself. You're not going to stick out by just retaliating against those who persecute you. Everybody does that. Nope. When you're persecuted, you bless. When it seems impossible to live peaceably, you go the extra mile to live peaceably with all, if possible, and as far as it depends on you. And don't be overcome by evil. This, all this, 
It's a blip. It is a blip. But it matters. It really matters. And so Paul is saying just to us here, like all of this grandiose doctrine of Romans chapter 1 through 11 that that basically boils down to you have been redeemed by a good God, moved from uh, a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light because of Jesus and his work on the cross. Because of that, you call him Lord. You confessed him Lord. You owe him your life. And so be a living sacrifice and live his way even when it's counterintuitive. Last thing, this year, let me back up. Ding, 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 ding. Since like 2019, things have shifted in the culture. Big time. And so this year, we as followers of Jesus, we are going to have this epic moment, this awesome opportunity to abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, and at the same time, let love be genuine. It's going, to be a, it's going to be a bumpy year. I think politically bumpy, right? Whatever your politics are, how do you practice this? How do you practice this? In the context of your own home, your marriage with your family, how do you practice this? Context of coworkers and and the, and the people that you're with each and every day. How do you practice this? When people people don't agree with you, how do you practice this? Mostly, what we do is we we tribe up. I get these people right here that agree with me, so we can all talk about everything we agree about. Then we don't have to practice any of this. Paul's assuming that the Romans live in a culture that's super diverse and counter-Christian. It's not for the risen Nazarene. It's for the imperial Caesar. It's all for him, the Roman culture. So he's saying, in that, this is not an ideal world. You, you don't live in uh, the America of, of gone by. You don't. It's a, it's a different, it's a shift. Things have happened, changed. We, as followers of Jesus, we don't deviate. No matter what's shifting around us, no matter how things are changing, we live the way that Jesus says to live. And we apply it in the time period and among the people with which we live. So we're going to have opportunity. Every generation has had opportunity to apply hard passages of Scripture like this. Um, These are ethics. This is how we live. This is where the rubber meets the road. And so here's what I'd say to you. Forget anything else. Some of you are thinking, well, Pastor Brian did say I could beat someone up in the parking lot if they're they're beating beating someone. That's your takeaway. I would just go back. If you want one takeaway, go back to to verse 9 and memorize that as short. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast. What is good, right? Would you bow your head, close your eyes, ask the Lord to speak to you.
So Father, we are um, so grateful for your word that's so clear. And these seem to be super high standards. And uh, I'm afraid we can't in our humanity just do these things on our own. And so I'm asking you uh, to fill us fresh and new this day with your spirit. God, would you uh, draw each one of us close to you? And whatever life may bring, Father, may we respond to it the way that you call us to respond. Help us to live these Christian principles that Paul laid out for the church at Rome that are so applicable in our culture today. God, we don't want to play Christianity. We want to live as your disciples, Jesus. Let us be the salt of the earth. Let us be the light of the world. God, help us to carry the message of the kingdom. Thank you for your spirit that you put inside of us. Thank you for the word that is so clear. God, uh, give us the courage, the power, the compassion to live it. So we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.